So this morning I want to start in uh, the, the previous verse, the previous verse, Romans chapter 10, verse 21. Uh, this is where we were last week. This is where we ended up. And as uh, we're thinking about God's people, the Israelites, this is what it says uh, of God. God says of his people, but of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Uh, as we look at that, and that come, becomes the basis really for this next argument or this next piece of describing God's word, what his thoughts are of his people, the Israelites. And I, I realized this morning that uh, most of us are not Israelites. We don't connect our lineage uh, back to God's people. But as you think about the church at Rome, it was mixed. It was mixed with people uh, that were Jewish by uh, their lineage, their heritage, their who they were as people from generation to generation. And then everybody else, everybody else, even as we have talked about the Jews and the Greeks, uh, the Greeks being everybody else. And so this morning we look at, um, first of all, a remnant example or remnant examples and the question that is kind of the basis of this whole passage here is, has God rejected his people? And this is an important piece as, as we look at the issues of election and God's choosing, his right to choose. Uh, here in the book of Romans, we come to an important passage because now he, the Apostle Paul, he talks about really his people, his people, and his, God's relationship to his people, the Jews or the Israelites. And he, they ask this question, and Paul, Paul does this, especially in the book of Romans, he's asking questions that are meant to lead them to conclusions or teach them uh, what it is that God is thinking. And uh, many times this is helpful for us to really think through the heart of God. And the, the question is, has God rejected his people? Is God the one that looked upon people that were innocent or even neutral and said, no, you can't be mine? Um, if you look at that last verse, you realize in chapter 10, it, you know, it's, it's not that, you know, God is rejecting people who desired him greatly, but uh, the people that he had even uh, chosen as his people in the Old Testament, uh, for the most part, uh, the, the group of them were named or marked by disobedience and being contrary to him. Uh, and so the, the, Paul, as he does with many of these questions, he, uh, I don't want to say violently, but adamantly, he says, no, no, this is not it. As we talked about this earlier, it's as if he's slamming his hand on the table and making a point, and he says, no. It's not true. God is not the one. He is not the one that is rejecting. And so he goes on to explain in this passage uh, why he is not the one that is the rejecter. Okay? And that, that's an important word as we look at this passage. Paul, Paul immediately, when he says that God is not the rejecter of his people, he gives some examples. And the first one he gives is, is, is himself. He, he says, I'm here, right? It's interesting that 
Paul, we're going to find out in the probably next week or the week following, probably next week, um, that Paul is known as a, a special uh, apostle, that he is an apostle uh, to the others, if you will. He, he's the one for not the Jews, but the Greeks or the Gentiles. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. So, so in this, but it, it, him being the apostle to the Gentiles, it's interesting that he is a Jew. He is, a, and he says, what about me? If God rejected his people, what about me? Um, and he describes himself in really three pieces. He says, I'm an Israelite. I'm connected back uh, to the nation of Israel. I'm connected to Abraham, uh, a descendant of Abraham, and I'm a member of the tribe of Benjamin. As you think about these things, these were things that uh, the Jews or the Israelites would have looked upon and they'd say, oh, wow, you know, yeah, he's one of us. He's one of us. He's connected to Father Abraham. He's connected to Father Abraham and the tribe of Benjamin. As I, as I read this, it reminded me of in the book of Philippians, Paul wrote about this before when he was talking about really what he gave up, uh, what he pushed aside and considered trash uh, for following after Christ. And one of those things uh, was him being part of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, if you look in the Old Testament about being part of the tribe of Benjamin, it was a special tribe that had been faithful to Judah uh, that included the, the place of Jerusalem where they thought it important. And so uh, as out of all the tribes, it was a special tribe in the midst of all of them. And so as, as Paul looks upon the rejection of God's people, the Israelites, he said, it's not true. He's not the rejecter. Look at me. My life is a testimony of God's goodness, not of his rejection. And, and, and as I, I go through this this morning, I want you to remind yourself that this is the heart of God as he deals with sinful people. Don't get hung up on, uh, uh, well, Paul was Jewish, and, or I'm a Gentile, or how does, but the heart of God dealing with sinful people. In the uh, last week as I was preaching and I, as I concluded, um, I sensed, uh, especially in some of you, that you, you remembered yourself being that person in the last verse of chapter 10 a disobedient and contrary person that God reached out to you and his hands were extended to you. And, and apart from his grace to you, you would have remained that person and he brought you to himself. And so as we look upon this, just remember this is Paul, but it's also us that uh, God uh, has not rejected us, but we are a testimony of his goodness and grace, not of his rejection. Paul says, you know, look at me. And then he also says, look at Elijah. Look at Elijah. And Elijah is an interesting one. I don't know if you're familiar with the life of Elijah and some of the highlights and lowlights uh, of his life. <clears throat> but... Um, 
Paul says, God, uh, God has not rejected his people whom, whom he foreknew. And, and then he gives example. So he talked about himself. He says, God uh, had a, a, um, a plan for me. He foreknew us, the, the Israelites of the Old Testament. And when he says that word foreknown or foreknew, um, he's really connecting uh, a similar situation that God did with his Old Testament nation of Israel that he now does on the New Testament as he draws people to himself. He uses the same language of of foreknew, and he's going to use elect here in a few moments. As we see this, he, he says of using Elijah now as the example, middle of verse two, he says, uh, do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? And as I think about that, it, just the way it says it, as Elijah appealed to God against Israel. And as you think about who Elijah was, he was a prophet for Israel. And you think, well, what was he saying about Israel? And if you look back in the book of 1 Kings, chapters 18 and 19, verse 19, chapter 19 is really where he, he's directing his thoughts to, Paul is, in chapter 19, where if you go back there and read, it's the story of King Ahab and how he killed, he killed uh, the, all, all the prophets. He killed them. He wiped them out. And as he uh, shared that, he shares with Jezebel uh, this news of his destruction of the prophets of God. And then Jezebel swears to uh, Elijah, he says, I'll, I'll kill you by tomorrow, by tomorrow. And uh, th- this is what, what's going to happen to you. And so what does Elijah do? You know, what would you do, Ben, if some woman told, told you that uh, she's going to kill you the next day, next 24 hours? He did what any man would do. He ran to the forest. I joke, but uh, uh, if you look at 1 Kings chapter 18, it's very interesting because Elijah was one of the most powerful men, uh, um, just a testimony of faith. In chapter 18 and chapter 19, he ran. You know, I, I think that that's the picture of uh, us in our faithfulness, right? Uh, we, we like to say, you know, we're people of faith, we're faithful to the Lord, but one day we're standing against the prophets of Baal, right? One day we're doing, and if you don't know the story, you need to this afternoon read chapter 18. It's great. It's great. First Kings chapter 18, uh, where Elijah stands against the prophets of Baal and he mocks a God that is not a God. And he shows the power of the true God in the midst of everyone. But chapter 19 comes and he uh, looks upon uh, the other prophets dying, uh, the, the ones that have failed the Lord. And in the, in the forest, he bemoans his own life. He wants to die. Why? Because he says, God, I'm the last one standing. There's nobody else. There's nobody else. And as you look at Paul's example and you say, well, why would he use this as an example? This is why. 
Uh, let me read it to you again. Verse 2, it says, Do you not know what the scripture says about Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Verse 3, Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. He's crying out to God. If you, you look in uh, 1 Kings 19, you see him crying out to God, bemoaning his own state, wanting to die, knowing he's the last one left, and feeling the pressure coming down upon him, feeling weak and tired. And I, I think that most of us can relate to that, right? We can relate to the long days of following after the Lord and the temptations and the crushing pressures of maybe family and friends. And, and you look upon that and Elijah felt that and even this woman who desired to kill him. And so he cries out to God. But verse four says this, but what is God's reply to him? He says, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. As you look upon that, you, you realize, well, Baal was the one that was not a god, but it was mocked. And as you, you think about who Baal is, they even uh, our world today is even toying with this idea of the worship of Baal again. And I'm not talking about foreign lands. I'm talking about uh, the elites of supposed elites and celebrities of our world. Uh, worshiping Baal and the idea of Baal. And, and all you need to know is this. In First in, in Kings chapter 18, he says, look, you can follow the true God or you can follow Baal. And if you're following Baal, it's the anti-God, right? It's the anti-true God. It's the other option. And this is connected with the worship of Satan and the following after the enemy's plan. And so he says, God responds to Elijah and he says, there are 7,000, 7,000. And I think it's interesting because um, Elijah was saying, I don't even think there's one. I think I'm the last man standing. And God says, I got 7,000, 7,000. And I, I look upon this and I, I say, well, what was he saying? How did he respond to Elijah? What was he telling him? And, and what he was saying was this. No, you're wrong. They're ones you don't know about. They may feel like they're invisible right now and that you are all alone, but you're not alone. I have my people. And I, I just want to point out one thing before we move on. How did God say this? Uh, to Elijah, and how did Paul write this now as he's thinking about his people, the Israelites, and salvation? How did he say it? It's very important that you get it. He says, I have kept for myself. I've kept for myself. There's other translations that say it a little bit different, but that same idea that God for himself has brought people to close to him. I want you to think about that. Uh, I'll, I'll just mention it right here. We wouldn't say it that way, would we? We would talk about uh, God. He is my God for me, for me, my God, my God. And I, I added him to my life, 
right? I saw myself as a sinner, so I made him my savior. I want to tell you that the plan is much bigger, is much bigger than your comfort or even your salvation. The plan is that you and I would be for God. Think about that. I I think so often we, we ask the question and You know, especially we talk about it when we talk to young people. We say, well, what do you want to do with your life? What is it that you, you know, your heart desires? Where do you want to live? Where do you want to go? What do you want to fill your days with? And as I look at this passage, I I hear this. That God chose a people. He chose a remnant within them for himself. And so we are to be for him, not him for us. So we see a, a remnant identified. We see a remnant uh, uh, given as examples of what God is doing. And now in verses 5 through 6, and I really want to highlight this because I think it's important for us to understand the work of God. We see the remnant chosen by grace. The remnant chosen by grace, verses 5 and 6. In verses five, verse five, it says this. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. There's a remnant chosen by grace. And so what I want you to get your head around is this. In the time of Elijah, in the time of Elijah, God uh, explained to Elijah, my people have not been snuffed out. You're not the last, last one standing. This isn't like a, a civilization uh, you know, being wiped out. They're still here. There's a remnant. There's a group that I have chosen, and, and they're not gone. They are not wiped out. That was true in the time of Elijah. Paul was a representation of that uh, as he was in the New Testament, as he was writing the New Testament. He was part of that remnant, the remnant of Israel, and, and so as Paul was explaining to this group of people in Rome, this metropolitan city with all kinds of different nationalities, thoughts, you know, bustling and millions of people, he said, in this present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. How many of you have been... Uh, overwhelmed by a city before you've been in a huge city and you you get that moment in time you're you're having fun or you're stuck on the 405 freeway and like you're in the mob of people you're at dodger stadium trying to find your car after the game and 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 you're just stuck and you're you're overwhelmed by all the people and and maybe there's that moment in time where you're thinking and you're you're going what are all these people doing here why are they here? And then maybe you ask the question as, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I wonder if any of these people, any of them, know the Lord. If the Lord would return for his church, would, you know, would my car be the only one that would, you know, hope you have a Tesla at that time for the other people, right? You don't need to drive it. It'll drive itself. Um, 
you have this feeling, this sense of being overwhelmed. And I can imagine the people in the church at Rome as they would go about their day and the people pushing and shoving and people from different places and times and, and, and the people going, I wonder if there's anybody else. I wonder if there's anybody else. And Paul says this. So, so too, at this present time, at the present time right now, just as it was back then, there's a remnant And how did this remnant come to be? They were chosen by grace. Chosen by grace. Uh, He uses that word again, chosen, right? He said chosen. I I said we already looked at that word, but uh, we're going to look at it again. And then we're going to hear the the next word, elect, uh, come in a moment. But, But know this, that that you have to ask the question, how did Israel become Israel? How did Israel become Israel? Chosen by God. And how do the individuals, right? We, we already talked about this idea that all Israel, and Paul says it this way in different passages, all Israel is not Israel, right? All, all those who have been chosen have not come to faith in him. They don't trust him. And that's the question of this passage is that, you know, has God rejected his people? It seems like that as you look at that last verse in chapter 10. And he says, no, that's not true. I'm an example. There's Elijah. There are these 7,000 others that are this remnant that, that God is always doing and always doing these things. And God is the one doing. And how do they become? What is the, their position? They were chosen. And, and how was it decided that they were chosen? Chosen by grace. Chosen by grace. And I know this is hard to get. Uh, you know, if I see any of your heads exploding, we'll pick up the pieces, okay? It's by grace. Uh, he thinks of this remnant, and it seems sometimes that they are unno- an unnoticed group, but they are God's group in the midst of every generation, They are chosen. It's not because of their family. It's not because of their their great achievements in obeying God's law or their own law. It's God's gracious intervention for them. That's what it means to be chosen, is that God graciously intervened in your life. Um. He reiterates uh, this idea of grace. He's highlighting it, underlining it uh, for us that we would not become confused, that we would not get the end of the story, the final judgment. He says this, if you look down at um, verse six, he says, "But, but but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. It cannot, it will not, it is not on the basis of works. And what are works? They're the things that people see as somehow an achievement of goodness, right? And and for God's people, the Israelites, they loved the law. They loved it. Or they loved the parts that... They loved the parts of the times that they thought that they were obedient to it, right? Right? If you really look at the character of the Old Testament and you, you ask the question, were God's people good people? You, you can't come to that conclusion. 
They had short periods of time of highlights. They had a highlight reel. It's always interesting. Uh, I, I think baseball is probably the best sport to talk about this. It, it's a lot more fun to watch baseball at like 11 o'clock at night. And when I say 11 o'clock at night, I'm talking about like on ESPN because they just show the highlights. They just show the highlights and you can watch every game in like five minutes, right? And they're showing this great play. And you're like, oh, it's so amazing. It's so amazing. If you've ever gone to a baseball game, much of the game is slow, boring, and exposing failure over and over and over again, right? Hey, he struck out again, you know? I realized that, you know, for the pitcher that was success and the batter that that was failure. But anyways, but my point being this is that we think, we think so often that our goodness, that we can somehow achieve placement with God and we can't, we can't. Some of us say, well, nobody's perfect. <laughs> like, there were, like we were real close. We were real close, but there was that one thing, you know. We would have been perfect except for that one thing, you know. Uh, it wasn't even close. For your life, it wasn't even, you couldn't even see the other side, right? And, and, and this is the point. This is the point. If God's people, the Israelites, were going to be chosen by their goodness, they would have never been chosen. They would have never been chosen. It had to be by grace. Had to be. God's goodness, his unmerited favor, him doing the work that they could not earn or could not deserve. And if it's uh, not by works, then it has to be by grace has to be, which brings us uh, really back to this idea of rejectors. Why rejectors get rejected, verses 7 through 10. Why rejectors get rejected. Um, we, we look at it, verse 7, look down at it in your Bibles. Um, what then, uh, what then, Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking, and, and I want to stop there and just say this. Israel failed to get what it was seeking? What does that mean? You mean they were trying to please God? They were trying to please God and they couldn't do it? Kind of. Kind of. I just want to say kind of. What Israel was seeking, unbelieving Israel was seeking... They were seeking salvation or right position with God apart from God or apart from the Messiah. Now in the New Testament, in Romans, in the time of the book of Romans. They were seeking to be right without Jesus on their own. And, and I want to stop there and just talk about that is the heart of man, the heart of man. I, I, I want to say this. One of my sons, one of my sons who will go nameless. Um, I, I remember this very vividly, very vividly when we were trying to be parents and they were small. And, 
And, you know, your kid gets to be two and three and sometimes earlier and definitely later as well. And, and, and you're, you're watching them do something and you want to help them with it because it's dangerous or because it's a little more advanced than they can accomplish. And he would, in frustration, he would say to me over and over again, I do it by my own self. I do it by my own self. Frustration. Interestingly enough, as I think about it, that wasn't just one of my sons. That was all my sons. Not to mention it, my daughter as well. My wife, my mother-in-law. And not to mention it, it's funny, I've heard from some of you. I've heard from some of you that you have told me similar stories about your own kids. That, that they've had this idea that they don't want anyone to help them. They want to do it themselves. I've heard that from you. It's not the same language. They have their own lines. They're funny little cute little lines. It's really cute when they're small. It's pretty ugly the older you get, right? It's interesting And it's not just your kids either, is it? Um, When you come up with a difficult problem in your life, where do you run? YouTube, of course. (laughs) Right? Do it yourself. It's the heart of human man. Right? It's, It's us. It's us. It's a heart that says, I don't need you. I'll figure it out. And part of the reason we do it that way is this. I could go on a long time about this, but let me just take it one step further. Because then if we have any sort of success, what do we say? I did it. How'd you figure that out? I just figured it out. I'm smart. That's why. You know, you don't tell anybody you had to do it 20 times, right? 20 trips to Home Depot. (laughs) Getting more lumber because you ruined the stuff before, right? Needed the board stretcher. How many times were you supposed to measure and then cut? Anyways, um, this is the heart of man. And, and guess what? This was the heart of the Israelites. They said, I, I don't want you, God. I'll do it by my own self. Uh, I'll figure it out. I'll, I'll seek salvation in my own righteousness apart from you. You gave me the rules. I'm going to follow them. I'm going to show you how good I am. It's the heart of man. They sought salvation apart from the Messiah. It's in your kids and my kids. By the way, uh, grandkids as well. Right? You know, they want to hold the fork, right? Even if it's going to poke, poke their eyes out while using it, right? They, they want to do that. I want to tell you that as we look at this or how rejectors get rejected, it's truly giving credit where credit is due. It's the rejectors getting rejected because they've rejected God. Um, 
Israel had this favored position. And instead of embracing the God who loved them so much, they rejected him and sought to establish their own righteousness. He says very clearly, very black and white, uh, really how the outcome was. If you look down at verse 7, in the middle there, it says, the elect, meaning the elect of Israel, that remnant, those people, the elect obtained it. What did they obtain? They had obtained God. They had him. They had relationship with him. They had righteousness that didn't come from themselves. They had righteousness that was given by grace to them. But it says of the rest, the rest were hardened. And then he gives examples. As it is written. As it is written in verse 8, um, he's connecting. And when you see that um, in the New Testament, Paul uses it quite a bit. He's uh, generalizing what has already been written or he's combining. In this case, he's combining a couple of passages and thoughts, Deuteronomy, Isaiah. Um, and he says, as it is written, as it is written, well, what is written? What is this message uh, from, from the Old Testament? It says that God gave them a spirit of stupor, that their eyes uh, would not see and their ears would not hear down to this very day. And this idea is having rejected, having uh, denied the only one, uh, their eyes could no longer see, their ears no longer worked in a way of hearing. I want to point out something here that both in this passage isn't really talking about the enemy's work, but it's talking about the work of God. I want to tell you that it's not just a logical, physical, mental thing down here, right? That when you're sharing the gospel, apart from the work of God, uh, it's not going to happen. And, And apart from the work of God not allowing the enemy to blind them, they will not accept. And so you you desire to pray and ask for God to intervene and to work his work that only he can do. And in this passage, it shares of these who are hardened, these who had rejected and now were rejectors, now being rejected, that now because of their rejection, God pushes them out and says, well, then you can't hear, you can't see, you can't be uh, one that would understand the message that you're hearing because of your rejection. His second example is from David, um, and now this is more specific. You, you see this in Psalm 69. And, and David, in the passage of uh, Psalm 69, you, you see this, that David uh, is speaking of his enemies this way, his enemies this way. And I always think it's interesting because uh, we feel uncomfortable like saying things about those enemies. David was not uncomfortable with it, right? If you look through, especially the Psalms, you will see him speak of his enemies. And this is what he was speaking of his enemies. And in this passage, Paul uses it of those of Israel those of Israel who have rejected God. He said, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. 
Um, It's funny, there's some other passages like this as well. Um, David prayed for people. David prayed for people. As he spoke with God about individuals, he, he prayed for them that he desired some things for their lives. Do you want people to pray for you this way? God, I, I'm praying that retribution come to them, right? I, I, the the um, last part there in verse 10, that, that let their eyes be darkened so they cannot see. Make them so they, they cannot see. What, what a terrible thing to pray, but that, that, that was the picture that David had. I'm gonna get to that in a moment. Bend their backs forever. Most believe that, that that's this idea of slavery, that they are crushed by life, stuck, enslaved. They cannot get out. This is the picture uh, of what um, of what David wanted to see of his enemies, and now Paul uses this to really picture the Israelites who had rejected God. And I want to say it this way: the enemies of God, the enemies of God, are the enemies of us. They are. They are. It's not that we don't desire for repentance in people, for sure. But I, I want you to get this picture, is that, that David saw people, and he, he basically looked at them, and he says, look, are, are you for God? You've heard the message, right? Because if you're not for God, you're a rejecter of him. And, and so there's this, there's this war against them. There, there's this picture and, and as David shared this, he uses this as an example of not the elect, those who are the remnant, the ones who come, but he says, because they have sought their own way, because they have sought their own righteousness, they were hardened. They were hardened. And so this is where we end. And we're, we're going to uh, continue on talking about the G- Gentiles and their position um, I, I think that just thinking through this passage for you right now is just to know this, that not all Israel, not all of those uh, of the Old Testament that God made his people, not all of them are in faith. Just in the time of Elijah, there were those 7,000 plus Elijah, 7,001, right? Uh, uh, that, that was the time of Elijah, and now Paul was using it himself, and he knew of others, the Roman church, and, but it wasn't everybody. It wasn't everybody, and he, he sees it as two groups, the elect who obtained it and the others who sought for themselves that were hardened. We just see those two groups of people. I have some concluding questions for you that I hope will help you kind of sort through where we go from here. Answer this question for yourself. You can write it down and think about it later. Who deserves to walk in darkness forever? Who deserves to walk in darkness forever? It's a hard question. It's a hard question. Uh, Especially as we think about what we believe about mankind. If we believe that Man was born good, and the only reason they they have sinned was because of the culture and the pressures and the training of whatever's gone on in this world after that. 
Um, you know, you, you might have a case there, but if you understand the scripture and specifically the book of Romans, that man was born a sinner. And so if you answer that question, who deserves to walk in darkness? It's interesting. We, we most of the time, we, we want to say, we want to put names to it, right? Right? Um, we, we, wanna, we know specific bad people and we say, well, them, them. And then maybe uh, if we struggle with different nationalities or countries, we think of uh, countries that have been wicked and generations of people who have done terrible things. And so we say, well, maybe it's the Germans. Maybe it's the Russians or the Chinese, or maybe it's those from Saudi Arabia or Iran. Maybe it's those. Maybe it's those. They deserve to walk in darkness forever. But Paul has been teaching us through the book of Romans, who are the guilty ones? Who are the ones? And so I think that as you uh, use the cumulative study of the book of Romans, you can answer the question clearly, though it's hard to say, who deserves to walk in darkness forever? And and you might want to even say this. Personally, who deserves to walk in darkness forever? Which brings me to my second question. Who deserves to be chosen by grace? Who deserves to be chosen by grace? Now, that's a trick question. Who deserves to be chosen by grace? And the reason it's a uh, trick question, some of you connected it pretty quickly, is that word deserves really is more connected to the word works that we mentioned earlier. Um, If you get a paycheck, you get a paycheck because you worked, right? You know, we're not going to get into work ethic today and stuff like that. But eventually, eventually, if you don't work, what will happen? You don't get paid, I won't ask for a show of hands of those of you who have gotten fired before, right? Um, We understand this, right? We understand that a paycheck is payment for work. So if you work, you get paid. And it's this idea you deserve to get paid. But the question was not who deserves to get paid. The question is who deserves to be chosen by grace? And that might, one might take a, a while to answer. Because if you search the world and you look through people groups and individuals you know, and maybe even that personal question again, you might not find anybody that deserves to be chosen by grace. And then lastly, and this may seem out of place, but it's not not out of the book of Romans, but even out of this passage, how should we respond to the gospel offer? The good news offer that Jesus says, if you respond to this, you'll be mine. If you confess, you will be saved. This is the message of the book of Romans. If you acknowledge me, if you, if you believe in me, if you trust in me, You'll be saved. 
And I want to ask you, how should we respond to the gospel offer? Let me give you some suggestions in humble faith. I, I, I said humble faith because it didn't seem right to just say faith. Humble faith realizes that we do not deserve. We do not deserve. It's not something that we work for. It's not something that we are better than so that we could attain. The gospel offer should be responded to in humble faith. Something like this. I need you. I need you. I need you. I don't deserve you. With your strength and with your help, I will follow you. The response of the gospel is one not of deserving. It's not of accomplishment. It's that of I will trust in you. And with your strength and with your your help, I will follow you. God, I ask that you would uh, remind us and stir in our hearts. I pray for those who struggle with this message and they uh, maybe haven't come to faith yet. I pray that even today, this would be their time to respond to the gospel offer. That they would not be uh, rejectors that rejectors that further get rejected, but rather that they would be humble acceptors, that they would, as you have allowed them to understand the gospel, that they would respond in faith, humble faith, knowing we don't deserve our position, but taking our position, our position that is for you uh, to be your followers, your worshipers. God, do your work in this church, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.